Good Morning Mayberry is brought to you by Amass Studio, LLC. This episode was recorded on September 8th, 2022, with Dr. Larry Lyons. We've always had these one-sided relationships, but I mean, for as long as there's been authority figures, there's been some kind of outsized personality in, in our, you know, individual and collective consciousness. But now it's, you know, that 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 relationality being monetized and being um, predatory. Oh, good morning, Mayberry. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time doing an intro on this episode. All I want to say is that this is part two of A Holy Legacy with Dr. Larry Lyons featuring Cancel Culture Club. And it's actually the first half of the conversation that Larry and I had during this recording. So like I said in that episode, I plan to continue doing whatever I want because time is not real and the content made more sense to go in these orders. I put a link to the other half of the conversation in the show notes for you, so you can check that out there. We're over here talking about parasociety, Bernaysian marketing, intimate use of Bernaysian public relations tactics, and and celebrating Larry's nephew, Camden Coley, and all of the booked and busy black boy joy he is emitting. And when you're done listening here, go check out Larry Lyons on The Best Man, The Final Chapters. If you please, now join me for my conversation, the first half of my conversation with Larry Lyons. Larry is an absolute gem to listen to, speak about anything. In my opinion, you tell me, listen to the conversation. You're going to love him too. Just wait. Uh, This is Larry Lyons reporting from beautiful Newark, New Jersey, Brick City, as you may know it. Crisp and clear. So wonderful. Thanks for joining me again. I love having you on the show. I'm always so happy to share time with you. That's what's up. So much has happened since we were last on. When was we, it? Oops. Um, now my phone is inter, inter, interfering with things. Let me mute everything. I'm juggling so much. I'm in a new location. I was I was looking forward to be having myself on video. I'll have to take a picture or something and put it up with this because I'm at a new house sit. I'm getting paid an unreasonable amount of money considering how much other people are getting paid to do much harder things. Uh, but I'm getting paid to watch a kitten for a few days. And I just love this house getting used to the Wi-Fi, moving my office space from place to place. I basically part of the reason why the show has gotten a little sporadic in its releases is that I have no longer got the same location. And I was staying at a bunch of hotels and motels and things. And then I moved in and got a room somewhere with somebody that was having significant mental health issues that encroached upon my ability to utilize the basic functions of the house. So I had to leave there very quickly. And now I'm kind of just going between house sits and I've got a friend that's got a house he's selling soon, but there's no Wi-Fi there. So I can't exactly work or record from that space, but I can go to all these cool house sits and set myself up there. All of my scheduling has to align. I, can you hear the chair creaking that I'm sitting on? That's that's a fun feature <laughs> I'm dealing with. It's all these new elements in my environment. Um, and you just got back from California. I did. Yeah, you know, I spend time in Simi Valley with my sister and my nephew and niece, who are both amazing. Uh, so I was able to, you know, work on auditions with him because he's a child actor and model, but also to go to parent-teacher conferences uh, for my niece she just started the uh, fifth grade, fourth grade. Oh, don't quote me. But I was definitely at the conference. <laughs> cool. That's what's up. That's cool. Yeah, I saw a lot of your posts. Your nephew's adorable. What was he? Just got cast in something too, right? Uh, yes, he's in a few things right now. So I think they just announced a fourth season of the Netflix series that he's on, Karma's World. Right. It was developed by the rapper Ludacris, yeah. based on his daughter. Cool. So he's the little brother on that show. Um, He was recently seen on a re-airing of a couple episodes of Abbott Elementary on ABC. He was one of the kids attending Abbott Elementary. Um, But in the uh, most recent um, series to be debuted on Hulu, the Mike Tyson series, I think it's called Mike Mike on uh, on Hulu. Uh, My nephew plays uh, one of the young men involved in uh, bringing Mike to the dark side of delinquency in his youth. So uh, he's been scenes of that as well. Wow. 
but he's cool. been face of, uh, he's been all throughout the uh old navy campaigns uh, for right. the last seasons consistently in the uh their online stuff and in their uh in stores at Abercrombie and Fitch um but also in their uh, national commercials he's done two of those for old navy that's great amazing not to to go on and and, and you know <laughs> gush like a proud uncle but this kid is working you better gush your way. I've seen his pictures. He looks adorable. He's so happy and like vibrant. You know, it's uh, you guys are adorable. All of your posts are wonderful. You have a great community, a great family. You're like a solid member of it. You guys are always doing things to celebrate each other. I'm here for it. Uh, you can always feel free to include me in any conversation celebrating uh, any of your people. That's beautiful. Yeah, you know, the, our family is a big tent family. It's like we acquire members because the joy is kind of infectious and genuine and all too rare. So we want we want to be spreading that as much as we can. If, if Black Boy Joy were a person, it would be Camden, my nephew. That's real. That's very real. Uh, yeah, and um, it's a form of magic. It's a it's a healing yeah. thing. I definitely I get healing vicariously just from watching little clips of it. You know, we haven't we. Uh, being on opposite sides of the country or opposite sides of the state uh, all the time. I have yet to actually be in your glory in person, but it's so radiant even through the interwebs. Um, Probably more so through the interwebs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I receive it just the same, you know? I'm admitting it somehow. That's what's up. Yeah, no, it's funny because the parasocial relationship does alter things all the time. And it's weird, too, because we're kind of recently in this phase of parasocial relationships a little bit new to humanity anyway, uh, at least at the volume that it's been at with like video media and having uh, celebrity, celebridom. I don't even know what to call the physics of whatever that gravitational force is, the illusion. How do you get real physics out of an illusion? Whatever that is. Um, but having it transfer over into the internet, like most of my friends are parasocial relationships. Most of the people that I love the most and, and spend the most time talking to or who keep up on me the most, they're all folks I haven't spent any time in real space with. Um, but, uh, you know, it's still real nonetheless. And sometimes more so or, or like it changes the way that... Um, like vulnerability works or something like that. Like it'll get, it'll, it'll get rushed into place and kind of authenticated a little bit faster with these personal relationships. Uh, But things can become really distorted when that's like marketed or commercialized or um, used to kind of bastardize art into a commodity sort of thing or whatever. Right. Cause that's, what's new about it. We've always had these one-sided relationships with, I mean, for as long as there's been authority figures, there's been some kind of outsized personality looming in our, you know, individual and collective consciousness. But now it's, you know, that, that, that relationality being monetized and, and being um, predatory and, mm-hmm. and us, you know, kind of our relationship with the internet being a series of, uh, moments of consent to to these kind of intrusive and, and predatory um, systems and and facades. Mm. Mhm. Mhm. Like the question is, is the other party unaware? Right? Because that's like what the parasocial relationship is is usually structured on. It's assuming that there's this one person exerting all this energy to feel included and to and to be a part of a world that they're not, and the other person is unaware, but when it's kind of digital systems that are manufacturing the other person in that relationship, is it unaware? It's very interesting to me because I've been doing a lot of examination on like parasociety and parasocial relationships and how usually people kind of assume, like say you have a celebrity and a fan base, all the fans have a parasocial relationship with the celebrity and the right. celebrity is just some standalone God that doesn't even have any type of experience whatsoever to do with that relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. But realistically, that's not even true. And it never has been. When you listen to celebrities talk about what it's like to have fans or have relationships with their fans, it becomes a much more complicated and nuanced dynamic where the celebrity's mental health becomes more obviously problematic. Almost a hundred percent of the time. I rarely find cases where, celebrities have a reasonable relationship with their fan bases 
but the the element that gets i think what gets like kind of overridden and excuses them from having to include themselves as as human beings in the whole equation um it's it's just the money of it it's like as soon as they start talking about well you can make this much money off things you got to erase that that's the motive and then they have to come up with these bernaysian tactics to influence people to care about them in whatever right. way uh but that's always sourced from usually whatever their most broken space is like usually whatever their most painful embarrassing or uh kind of you know just the negative through line of their individual characters then their brand is built off of that uh in a look over here way like look, look away from whatever the problem is or we're gonna dr- we're gonna put lipstick on this pig um and then there's like shock and appall when like things backfire or when it's not it's it seems like things are really climaxing right now into like well this doesn't work at all uh you know i don't know how you how do you get a bunch of money together and get all these attention on you once you get people's attention on you it's hard to get it back off of you yeah like then there has to be a narrative made up about it so i don't know but i'm wondering if 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 our antipathy, antipathy, antipathy uh, toward money um, and you know commerce generally might overdetermine how we look at uh, how warped these parasocial relationships are, because I, I do feel like they're with they parasocial relationships exist within a larger spectrum of relationships that are all exploitative at times and mm-hmm. you know, symbiotic at times. And you know, functional at times and dysfunctional at times. And I wonder how different and set apart a, a set of relationships um, are just because they err on the side of the <sighs> constructed, confabulated, mm-hmm. um, uh, commodified. Mm-hmm. I personally don't think there's a difference at all. I think that there's a lot of things that we try to segregate and categorize in different, like you know, like divide like really separate divides like sometimes things that are the same thing if you talk about them the wrong way certain people will just completely shut down and not even be able to continue the conversation because they don't want to consider the multitude of elements that are being brought up in that in that complexity mm-hmm. but i the the celebrity that really kind of changed things for me as far as my lens on the parasocial relationship uh last year I did not know anything about Demi Lovato until last year. And like, I, it came to me through my actual social scene where people suddenly started hitting me up and they were like, what do you think about Demi Lovato? Have you heard about Demi Lovato? This, that, and I was like, what is that even, what the fuck is a Demi Lovato? What exactly even is a Demi Lovato? Let's start there. And people didn't even really know what to do with me because they were assuming, first of all, I would know who Demi Lovato is so important, Right. And then they were expecting that I would have heard about this like pronoun thing that she was doing last year. And then they expected me to care about that. They expected it would be relevant to me. I couldn't figure out why I could not figure out why. And then I accidentally fell into, because of my own issues, I was like, I need to take my brain out of this planet and had not been on Netflix for a while, but Paris Hilton's uh, show cooking with Paris was on. Okay. And I was like, okay, I'm going to put this on because this is absolutely the opposite of my life. And I would like to be anywhere but where I am right now. So I binge watched it. And when Demi Lovato came up, I saw this name there. And I was like, well, I guess this would be an opportunity to see what the fuck a Demi Lovato even is. Um, and there was something alluring, really particular and special about it. And I got completely drawn in, absolutely researched and studied this person, was so excited and proud that somebody with that much power and platform would completely queer out the way that this person did last year. And then I got just enough time to absorb all of this information and sort of see the trajectory of the child to the adult, which is where things really got weird. There was one concert this kid was holding and she's up on stage and she's like, I just love you all so much. You can't see how big the crowd is. You could just see her in like the front VIP. She's like, I just really want you all to come closer to me right now. I want you to be closer to me. And it was a zombie mob and she had to be removed from the stage for everybody's safety. I'm sure people got hurt in the crowd with the way they were moving up into the fence and stuff. And then learning about her mother and sort of, and this is not a, this is not a harsh criticism. This is like, 
this is just logistics. This is just like the inertia of legacies. But her mom was into performing and into celebrity uh, and isn't like a horrific like stage mom from what I can tell. Like I've never seen quotes that I'm like, well, that seems like you've got an ulterior motive. I've never, like the Spears family, I never felt settled about Britney's parents. I always, every time they would show them in pictures or somewhere on screen, there was always some kind of vibe that came off of them that I was like, this is not right. And it's the same feeling I would get with friends of mine and then later find out they were living in abuse as children or, you know, whatever. Um, so I don't quite have that with Demi's family. There's a lot more complexities that go into uh, why Demi took off the way that she did. But um, for me too, uh, it, it was especially alarming for me or like, uh, I'm, I'm going to say all the wrong words for alarming, triggering, and then really it was like, inspiring and moving and motivating uh -huh. to look at this person because I was in a cult when I was a teenager and we were actually a Puritan abstinence driven cult. Uh, and when the Jonas brothers and Demi Lovato connected their, their images, their posters and marketing saturated mm -hmm. our scene as um, a facsimile to abstinence and purity culture where they were using it to market their brand. They were not Hanson but they were taking Hanson's energy and saying, we are these pure good people. We're going to wait to have sex before marriage and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then glom and Demi onto that. Something about that vibe hit our group that was actually very violent about abstinence. And they mm -hmm. were used as an example of waywardness, essentially. Then we were all abused further to ensure that we actually did apply the tenets that we were supposed to apply to ourselves. Um, so for me, when I look at Demi's career, there's something really childish and visceral in me that uh, I see this person as an, a direct vampire who mm -hmm. marketed their art for no reason. It wasn't wasn't even really Demi's art. This is a production where they had done all this research. And I mean, they once they decided they had a good formula, they put more money into marketing it than they normally would. And it pushed through into demographics it wouldn't necessarily have before. Also, I, I think it was post MySpace coming out. I need, I'm doing a timeline, and it, every time I talk about this, I'm like, oh, there's another thing I need to research and figure out what that influence was in this whole thing that I'm moving towards. But um, kind of lo like looking at that particular individual's brand and how closely tied into Disney the inception of it is, and then kind of watching the desperate attempts to find a way to be a human being while still making that Disney scale money, it, that's where it gets really interesting to me. Because I've pulled myself, I'm no longer in the parasocial relationship. I am an alien observer, like <laughs> hovering over that bitch's life and looking down on it like, honey, I'm so sorry. You can't figure out where you are in all of this. I'm so sorry that you have to throw the entire queer community under the bus in order to get back to the level of, uh, but I, you know, it's like, is that, uh -huh. is that parasocial? I think like, it is. Well, I, well, I mean, especially if we look at folks like Brittany, like it, it seems one-sided until she's like, well, but it was seeing that one fan holding that sign that, you know. Right, right. Right. And so. It, mm. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. Because something about this was always going to be the way it was <laughs> or something. Mm -hmm. Um you know, there's the parasocial relationship and then there's also being a clairvoyant and then there's also being an empath and like knowing that these people are people and being uh, in the cults that I was in, they were all performing arts cults uh, for Jesus. The Hearing the stories of like Jeanette McCurdy, hearing how Britney talks about her upbringing, even Demi Lovato, like when I go in and I kind of listen to these people look back on their lives and talk about stuff or talk about it at the time, there's nothing different about their experience or the experience of people that are in performing arts cults within the church, whether that's praise group or whatever. The larger that you get, the bigger that you get when you start touring or doing uh, like marketing campaigns, when you want to go out of your way to promote stuff or influence things. Because the cult that I was in, um, in like the late 90s, early 2000s, did you notice like churches starting to do more like dramatic reenactments? specifically to Christian contemporary music? 
I definitely was more aware of them through social media. I didn't know if it was spiking or if they were just more represented, but I definitely uh, saw them. So when when this group came uh, to be, they basically, they formulated, they did one tour, and on that first tour was where my family got involved with them. And then from there, uh, they started in Ventura. We were up in uh, Northern California near San Francisco. Um, and then they decided to start doing these national tours with the specific initiative of going around and performing these specific kinds of performances getting the church to gather as many children as possible so we could have workshops with them and uh, training them up to start their own group at their local church. And we hit hundreds and hundreds of churches across the country. And part of the initiative was to hopefully get them to go out in public or go to other churches and network and spread this. Right. Mm. So I actively started that. Like I, I put, it wasn't a thing. It was like during a time where like, most church, you, there was a strict divide between churches that dance and churches that don't. And usually the churches that dance are very, uh, the, it's like the energy is just completely different. Like it's, it's not even comparable, but the, uh, the drier churches, there was something that they were seeking. And so this was an opportunity for them to get some movement without having it be liberated movement. It was all choreographed and contrived role-based. We didn't even call our our performances, performances, we had to call them presentations of the gospel. Um, All the rhetoric was really refined. So when I look at my life and what I went through and I, and I experienced kind of, I guess the current of that universe, that church world. And then I look at Hollywood, which is like, like the opposite. It's like antithetical to this space. I see the same thing. And then what in all of my research over the last few months, the one weird thing that merges everything seems to be uh, shame. <laughs> like there's a, there's a blending when you get to the Kardashians and Kanye and that kind of actually that peer group, right. Or social group. I don't even know what to call them. Um, and the way that their churches run the trickle down of dogma that came from those exact people is a unifying force that I I'm starting to try to uh, to find where the breaks in Paris society even are. Like what what is parasocial relationship? What is advertising and marketing? What is communicating at all? You know, like how do these things even tie together? Because if we keep looking at them as separate things, we're never going to get anywhere besides a new you know like how how many ways can they come at us from a different angle to exploit us for marketing again? Uh, but I mean, I feel that's that way about certain family members and all bosses, you know, like it's mm-hmm. that predation, that uh, that exploitation is built into so many of our relationships. It's really just a, a, not a matter of whether it's present or not, but like where it falls in the continuum. Like, you know, how often are these relationships symbiotic and, and how often are they nurturing? Because, you know, the parasocial has has earned this pejorative around showing some loneliness some need that some some um lack that flies in the face of the human need for companionship but mm. i think that there's also a way that we are restructuring being able to view the broad panorama of human interaction has empowered us to make decisions about things that we only assumed were organically happening um previously and mm. so i think that as you know, someone who tunes into, you know, Nickelodeon at five o'clock, you know, I tune into family members at seven o'clock. Like, I think there's a way that we structure our feeds and our programming to have a Rolodex of relationality. Mm. And sometimes the relationships with the Atlanta housewives can be as substantive (laughs) or, you know, maybe even more engaging um, than the other. And I I, I just want to know, like, you know, what are the ethics? What's the ethics of that? <laughs> Yo, they're all over the place. Here, Here's a weird one. I right now, since Ann Hetch died, I have been obsessed with her. Yeah. And I have listened to almost every episode of her podcast. I have listened to her audio book three times. Uh, it's only been like a month and a week or something since she died. And I'm, I'm literally upset. I've moved on to another, so, uh, like finding other podcasts she was guesting on. Um, mm-hmm. 
So, and also like the articles, I'm like, okay, who's writing what and what's the tone? What did, what agenda are you trying to get out and seeing who's backpedaling? Like they'll put out one article that's like, that's a nasty way to say it. And then the next one they come out with is like, oh, you want to, you want to soften up. And so like where I'm at, I'm like, I am, I don't know. I just made like a playlist that was inspired by her. It's got like 34 songs on it. I'm really, I'm saying quotes of her. She would say live in loving kindness all the time. And like, has like, uh, it's difficult to balance all of the complexities. But then I go into it's like, if I watch things on YouTube with her podcast in the threads in the comments, um, her and her co host would drink wine or, or whatever on the show sometimes. And any episode where they were drinking in it, you find sobriety TM people being the most inhumane, cruel motherfuckers I've ever seen in my life. Like that's, I don't even know how to even describe it any other way. How do you go to a grieving loved one and start saying you were an enabler, you killed this person in a text message on the internet as a strange voice from the den, that's how you're approaching getting your message across. Great. That's cool. So you're just a target for me. You're not a real person and I don't need to be a real person right now while I'm talking to or about you. Yeah, it, it, I mean, but it challenges us to look at the ways that that behavior exists in the real world in real time, too. How so? Um, I understand the comment section as like this microcosm for the real world. And, and I've, I've, because I come from a Christian upbringing, have seen uh, that really ugly side of human nature where that kind of rancor is not reserved for... Um, characters on a screen, but mm-hmm. spoken in, in with an earshot of an altar. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of, of self-righteous indignation um, feels really familiar. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that there's something um, safer, <laughs> safer about the comment section because I've, I've seen it <laughs> levied bodies in real time. I hear that. Yeah, it, it resonates... Some folks are managing both, and I think that's important to put to to point out. Like there, you know, some some faith leaders who are get, you know taking it in the comment section and in real life. There, you know, yeah, some freedom fighters who are forced to endure it with with fits uh, uh, fists in real time and with fits on the comment section. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, man. I'm having like a moment absorbing and processing your comparison of like, uh, I don't even know, like the, the pew in the pulpit to the comment section. Like, I mean, it's more, it's, I, it's just crazy. I last, last year when my, when my life was, uh, going to high hell, um, an aunt of mine was very, uh, insistent that I would not be going through any of the hardship I was going through were it not for Jesus. And it's really, it's just no different than people who are going to come after the fact of some disaster and be like, this is all about drugs and you should have never done it. I'm just going to be a horrific bitch. Like that's, I've got horrific bitch things to say, but I know the way, the truth and the life. And you got to come through me to get any forgiveness or grace in this world kind of people. Um, but yeah, and maybe it's not so much about the parasocial relationship or where any of that kind of thing is happening. Maybe there's something uh, something bigger about indoctrination or something. Maybe it's something smaller. A lot of the time lately when I, I'm like, wait, that's the, that's, the, that's the reason for this problem? It's like something so simple and outrageous that like it just doesn't even... Like, I think I solved why rich people think trickle-down economics is a thing. The other day, like three or four days ago, I had this moment where I was like, wait a second... They put themselves on properties with fountains, opulent, enormous fountains that are designed to mechanically shoot water from the top and fill at these uh, different tiers, the the lowest one being the largest tier, which is always full. And sometimes maybe if the fountain is is malfunctioning, the top isn't shooting so much or whatever. So I just started, I had this moment where I saw like a hundred years past hundreds of thousands of people who have too much money sitting there and thinking 
well, this is how the world works. They're like in a meditative state looking at a physical object and they're somehow having a religious experience that applies that into a philosophy for their life. Then that gets to inform their politics and their business choices and puts them in a position where they can literally talk about trickle-down economics while not being willing to pay living wages to their host of employees that are running the infrastructure of the world. I'm thinking about the architecture of that whole ecosystem. Mm. Um, the, you know, the ways that, you know, certain rooms remove us from the labor of making a meal are the, mm. the filth of excrement and how mm. all that, you know, architecture helps us compartmentalize that in, within our psyche as well. Right. You, well, and then there's the, the, when you put it like that, there's the illusion they get to give themselves of kind of dabbling in struggle, dabbling in challenges and suffering. Um, you know, they can, they can go in for as long as they want, and there's always an escape hatch to get out when they're ready for that part, too. And they have the nicest shower and a sauna, and somebody's going to, um, you know, uh, pat them dry with a, a, I don't even know, like, what are they making the fancy towels out of these days for these people, but it doesn't have microplastics rubbing into their skin. What, you know, and so this, what we're describing now, though, the second episode that we did, or maybe the third episode, the second episode that aired, because I've got at least one in the archives with you that I haven't produced yet. But we were talking about Brittany. And at that point, you weren't completely convinced that she was like, not well. Uh, you know, I, I had been used to saying and doing too much about that comparatively to others. At this point, I'm feeling a little vindicated, but also a little overwhelmed that that opulent, it's weird to me because I, I, I really have been saying for years, and this got me in a lot of trouble in like 2011, 2012, but I've been saying that I don't think that oppression is any easier or better for the oppressor than it is for the oppressed. I think mm -hmm. it's a sickness. Oppression is the sickness. And it doesn't matter if you're the desperate parasite that can only survive from this thing, which is not these people. I do not believe that they're actually parasites. I think there's a lot less homogenization in the ideologies, the philosophies of the wealthy. But I think that similar to the church where people will actually internalize a lot of different perspectives, the performance of their personalities has to be incongruent with their actual belief system in order for them to survive and not lose everything. Uh, and after having lost everything multiple times in my life, I can kind of understand why people would fear that to the point that they would rather live a lie than create the world that they want. You lost me. Ah, where? <laughs> <laughs> I took some turns. Track me back to the last limb. Um, so, with wealth and role-playing to keep this ecosystem alive. Mm -hmm. We are the system. The system is made up of all these human beings. And from where I sit, I'm in a position of being the quote-unquote oppressed. And in my vantage, I have determined that I don't think that the people that are keeping us where we're at are, first of all, like healthy and well and happy about all of this that's happening. Yeah. They may think that they're happy with the idea of, you know, kind of commanding the world around them and having a horde of handlers or whatever, or even just one personal assistant or whatever, hiring a nanny and being able to have anybody revolving around your life, their livelihood, their ability to feed and shelter themselves is based on you being able to afford to make it so that your life isn't even really a whole life. Like, I don't, you know, it's, it's really centered on separation from a certain kind of labor. Right. And, but then at the same time, especially over the last few years, celebrities are very much embracing that labor and not even all of them ever were sold on the idea of removing themselves from it. People have nannies because they work. Like I love listening to Kristen Bell and Anna Ferris, and the way they talk about parenting is completely different than the way like Kim Kardashian talks about parenting, for example. Um, seeing them in conflict specifically or in states where their kids are not well is very different. I don't think I've ever actually even seen Kim or the kids in a position where they're like sick or like not, or they're talking about that. And it, I've 
Apparently she has more diarrhea than a regular person, but that aside, <laughs> I've never seen anything really human coming out of them that doesn't seem like they're trying to create an illusion of being in a better position than they actually are, which is bizarre because they have all the money. So what do they need to even fake, right? Like there's a, there's a different approach there as far as what the expectations of being in the role that they're in are. Like Kim sought celebrity and these other people seek art and want to do it at the highest level possible, but, um, you know, I guess to reference Demi Lovato again, that kid has said so many times, so many times in so many interviews, that she would prefer to just be an artist without the fame and can't figure out a pathway to that, and then continues to take on another contract or another project that would disallow any real art to be thoroughly a part of that project, um, or at least any art that's not uh, fully encased in like the plastic of commodification. You know, it's like, yeah, sure, there's real art in there. Uh, some of the best songwriters in the world worked on this last album. One of the best producers in the world worked on this last album. But it's uh, every element of it, when I look at it all, I see it wrapped in a, a cellophane, getting toxic crap put into it, similar to microplastics, from the commodification of that art. So I to, to simplify it, and also I think this is the, the sentence I started this <laughs> little wherever we are now um i don't think that oppression is any easier for the oppressor than it is for the oppressed i don't think it's any more beneficial or positive ultimately i think it makes everybody sick because eventually uh the illusion has to hit a point of reality and there's always going to be a shock factor to that there's always going to be some kind of a um like a suddenly unmet need in order to open up the reality that it was always an illusion. What does that unmet need look like? And it do could always be something different. Sometimes it's social, sometimes it's logistical. Like I don't, you know, not, I, I never remember this guy's name when I go to bring him up, but the idea of being a main player on the Cosby show and then having to choose to go apply for a minimum wage job, like oh an God. unmet need happens that, you know, and then it could be, uh, for like social stuff, when people hit, um, I, you know, it's uh, like the way that fame is acquired nowadays is so different. Being able to come up from the internet, I was about to reference Halsey, but I, and and specifically uh, like her health issues and how that's influenced her career, um, and initially having to keep her health issues a secret, and then it kind of being able to integrate into her reality uh and continue building a, a thriving and amazing career but um there there had to be a disruption to the general patterns of what that industry allows in order right. for and Housie herself was that disruption like uh i feel like some some players right now it's like they are an entity that merges the real world and the parasocial world. Like they understand it because they went through it, uh, like from Vine or YouTube or whatever, you know, like they, they crossed a threshold um, alone without managers, without handlers, without somebody discovering them. Uh, they get discovered by peers. And then the trajectory that they had on, there's other, there's other influencers that don't make it uh, out in one piece, they don't really establish a healthy career, but they end up getting a lot of attention and money. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going with this. I'm not sure what I'm doing with this. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the place that I keep landing is uh, questioning where the real world stops and this other world begins, because it, it does feel like um, more of a continuum to me um, mm -hmm. j just because my the, the real world is so saturated uh, and I use the air quotes for that it's so saturated with marketing and manipulation and agendas um, not to sound too cynical about it because it's I mean it's full of you know 
<laughs> amazing things as well. But um, I think in order to motivate people to do things, you know, there's there to do anything, whether it's take out the trash or vote for a candidate, there's some level of manipulation that that happens and, and we normalize it on an interpersonal level. But mm. when, you know, the players are, you know, shaping larger systems and, and reaping greater monetary benefit, we seem to want to set that aside as a different type of relationality. Mm-hmm. And I'm not convinced that that's, that, that, I mean, the stakes may differ, but I think it's important to see the connective tissue between them, which is in order to inspire action, often manipulation is needed. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because I think a lot of the time manipulation is not premeditated, you know, like it's a, it's an, it's a, um, a means to an end that comes up as an opportunity that gets taken and then later has to be processed by, or not, they they either process it or they're just like, well, this is who I am as a person now, um, or who we are as a business now, or, or how we are as a society now or whatever. Um, Heck yeah. It's, uh, it's an interesting thing. And well, it's funny too, because a lot of people do not know who Eddie Bernays is while almost everybody employs Eddie Bernays ideologies, principles, and practices into their life. Almost everybody, we all have to do some form of public relationing, you know, public mm-hmm. relating, public relations or whatever. And, um, I don't, I don't think that, I think that everybody kind of has, I mean, I'm sure there's anomalies or whatever, but I think that because we're so oversaturated with particularly Bernaysian marketing tactics um, that, you know, j- just a handful of companies, businesses, people decided to implement this, but they did it in a way where they were like, I wonder if we can talk to everybody on the planet. Do you think we can get our message into everybody on the planet's face? And then they would do things to try and make that happen. So once they fill up our attention with themselves or like they come into our, our radars, you know, I don't know. It's like trying to get pee out of a pool. Like they're just like a part of your memory now when they go at it hard enough or if they target you at a certain age or whatever, like there's, there's things that you can't pull away. So even if you, um, even if you get away from the love of the brand that, that put those tactics into their marketing principles and came for you with that, uh, it's like a, it's like, it's almost, it's like an abuse tactic that you, that we're, you know, it's like when you grow up in a, whatever the family is, whatever the social scene is that you grow up in, even if you are very different from those things, there's a through line of stuff that comes with you in your character. There's programming that happens and somehow that exploitative component, being able to mid- Appealing to people's emotions over logic is a faster way to get what you want, even if you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But none of us who are wandering around outside of people who are entrepreneurs or folks that are trying to work in marketing or start a brand of some kind, people people are totally unaware of why these things work the way that they work and how new they are, frankly, too. Like... Bernaysian marketing is not that much older than the credit score system, like considering all things. Right. But the human capacity to um, sigh and sulk until you get your partner to inquire what's wrong with you Ooh. is, you know, as old as time, right? Like there's <laughs> there are elements built into our bodies that enable us to to activate the empathy of others. Um, so it's it's not about the the new way that there's a, a marketplace that thrives based on those mechanisms, but really um, the 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 reason that those could resonate at all is because there's something built into our relationality that knows that things need to be moved and, and done and shifted that was an amazing that was a really brilliant juxtaposition nice you compared Bernays the history of Bernaysian technologies psychological manipulation right into sighing and sulking until our partner notices that something is wrong and <laughs> it's great it's an indelicate formulation <laughs> yeah yeah amazing 
Um, yeah, and that really, uh, it all cycles back into that celebrity relationship, especially post-2020. I, I have become more frustrated uh, than I was before with celebrities exploiting the parasocial relationship, uh, especially if I heard them talking at all through 2020 and 2021, if they were effectively on lockdown in some way. Um, because the... Uh, how do I want to say this? Like the, the ability to completely throw their own ethics under the bus, um, mm. both directions, because all of the sudden, wow, I have been on tour for so long. I didn't even realize how much like exhaustion and waste was going into my career. And maybe I want to reevaluate everything that I'm doing. And wait a second, what people are starting to plan concerts again. I can just go get vaccinated and then I can plan my tour and tell my fans to go get vaccinated and they can come too. Okay, let's do that. And then, as far as I remember, COVID numbers went up right after that, uh, I think, if I recall correctly. There was nothing really actual about that being a safe plan. But those people got to do that, and everybody – I was looking at concerts, too. I was like, maybe I do want to go out. Maybe I do want to do it this way. Um, my life, my disastrous life carried – the ground fell out from under me, so it didn't matter which direction I wanted to walk in. I was just going down for a few months until I figured out how to fly. But, uh, yeah, I think my vantage on things and the fact that I became absolutely obsessed with celebrity podcasts and then so many celebrities were like, well, I don't even know what I am now. I don't know how to, what do you mean? I can't go on set. I literally watched Catherine Zeta Jones get on live on Instagram with a glass of wine. And I can't remember if it was a little white cat or a little white dog that was trying to get out of her lap so bad while she just was like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. That was the American consumer. She had the American consumer in her lap. Oh my God. And, and it was trying to escape, but she wouldn't let it. Oh my God. <laughs> you just yeah. want to be healthy and social distance. No, you'll stay here in my lap. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a trip. It's a trip watching people insist upon re-engaging parts of life that weren't really working before because they don't know what else to do. Well, Stockholm. Um... Uh-oh. I wish I had my camera on. I should be visible right now, at least for you. My face is so, it's everywhere doing all of it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just feel like, Again, this the the pejorative that uh, parasocial relationality has taken on uh, it, it stands upon is supported by you know this notion that we're becoming increasingly lonely rather than becoming more selective, um, mm. and, and and I'm not you know I'm I'm not advocating either way. I'm just I think that it's an interesting formulation um, because to to say that you know. Uh, celebrities and the kind of folks that were on the um the higher end of the parasocial relationship mm-hmm. um we are bearing witness to their loneliness and vulnerability in ways um that are both moving and um uh, that that inspire our cynicism like well, is is this authentic is this for likes we don't know mm-hmm. but, but what we what we do know is that like humans are now be- used as beacons in these campaigns, like human personalities mm. are the new billboards. Um, and, the, you know, they may or may not have a flicker of humanity, but they're used to to draw us inward toward a product. Mm. But I, I'm, I'm not, I am not suspicious of the fact that we respond to it. I'm not suspicious of the fact that we still want to connect in a variety of ways and increasingly ways that we want to control ourselves. Right. So, you know, we're no longer only beholden to the tyranny of our blood relations and the houses that we go to for holidays, but we can also now be mistreated by brands and <laughs> human beacons, mm. which wow. may not be progress, but, it, you know, it honors the complexity <laughs> of humanity, I think. And how, yeah, well, and, hmm. Oh my goodness, I have like 10 different, 10 different potential responses and I can only <laughs> pick one. I may not, I may oh. not be able to get it. Um, oh. hmm. Thanks for listening. If you want to hear the second part of this conversation, go ahead and listen to A Holy Legacy with Dr. Larry Lyons, part one. 
because time isn't real. And I put this conversation up in reverse order. But lucky for you, that episode is already available. Just go to goodmorningmayberry.com and it is right there for you. I want to thank our listeners, sponsors, and members. We would be nothing without y'all. You are everything. Thank you so much. If you'd like to chat with us, you can reach out on social media. You can find all of our handles on goodmorningmayberry.com. You can give us a call at 415-3434-420. You can email us at connect at goodmorningmayberry.com. Thanks again to Dr. Larry Lyons. Check him out. Find his information in the show notes wherever you are listening or on goodmorningmayberry.com. And check out his nephew Camden Coley on Karma's World, Abercrombie and Fitch ads, Old Navy ads, wherever else he happens to be now because he is booked and busy. And tune in next time. We're going to have some really important episodes coming out soon talking about eat predators how that movement actually came about in real life kind of breaking down how movements happen what kind of people get involved with different kinds of movements how movements get co-opted and how activism advocacy allyship they are not the same thing and how antagonists kind of play into those relationships too and what happens when those relationships venn diagram with each other So I am very excited about that. But that's coming up next year. We're pretty close to the end of the year. January is upon us. In the meantime, always remember to never forget. I think a lot of the time, manipulation is not premeditated, you know? Like it's a, it's an, it's a, um, a means to an end that comes up as an opportunity that gets taken and then later has to be processed by, or not. They, they had to process it or they're just like, well, this is who I am as a person now um, or who we are as a business now or, or how we are as a society now or whatever. Heck, yeah. It's, uh, it's an interesting thing. And, well, it's funny too because a lot of people do not know who Eddie Bernays is while almost everybody employs Eddie Bernays' ideologies, principles, and practices into their life, almost everybody. We all have to do some form of public relationing. What What is parasocial relationship? What is advertising and marketing? What is communicating at all? You know, like, how do these things even tie together? Because if we keep looking at them as separate things, we're never going to get anywhere besides a new, you know, like how, how many ways can they come at us from a different angle to exploit us for marketing again? But I mean, I feel that's that way about certain family members and all bosses, you know, like it's mm-hmm. that predation, that uh, that exploitation that's built into so many of our relationships. It's really just a, a, not a matter of whether it's present or not, but like where it falls in the continuum. Like, you know, how often are these relationships symbiotic and, and how often are they nurturing? Because, you know, the parasocial has has earned this pejorative around showing some loneliness some need that some some um lack that flies in the face of the human need for companionship but mm. i think that there's also a way that we are restructuring being able to view the broad panorama of human interaction has empowered us to make decisions about things that we only assumed were organically happening um previously and mm. so i think that as you know, someone who tunes into, you know, Nickelodeon at five o'clock, you know, I tune into family members at seven o'clock. Like, I think there's a way that we structure our, our, our feeds. I am an alien observer, <laughs> like hovering over that bitch's life and looking down on it like, honey, I'm so sorry. You can't figure out where you are in all of this. Is that parasocial? Well, I well, I mean, especially if we look at folks like Britney, like it, it seems one-sided until she's like, well, but it was seeing that one fan holding that sign that, you know. Right, right, right. And so. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. Because something about this was always going to be the way it was. Eventually, the illusion has to hit a point of reality. And there's always going to be a shock factor to that. There's always going to be some kind of a, like a suddenly unmet need in order to open up the reality that it was always an illusion. What does that unmet need look like? And there you- always be something different. Sometimes it's social, sometimes it's logistical. Good Morning Mayberry is brought to you by Amass Studio, LLC. LLC.